Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do it live on a first Friday edition of the program. Merely Bo, Gibby here as well. Z still on assignment. Uh, I was thinking the official what you got a four day weekend here for most most people off a lot of people took Friday you're off Monday you got a four day weekend you're gonna have some hot weather mixed in it is a first Friday um, it's a pretty good first Friday you basically you part you have a good time tonight you just all you got to do is get through tomorrow yeah. and then you're done this is technically like your Thursday no 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 we don't that, say that Zagura, well no but like you know how Zagura talks about. The new trend might be taking Thursday off, yeah. and then coming back on Friday. That's his. That was his play was to take. He took off Thursday once to so play like golf. tomorrow would be your Friday. Tomorrow would be Friday, and you're out. Yeah, in that sense, it probably would be. Um, looks like we're gonna have a great weekend for it. This is gonna be a big, uh, a big Yeti, probably Yellow Jackets, uh, in the Yeti uh, with heavy limes, little little rodeo beers is probably where we're headed there with some ice. That's probably what we would do. That was the official uh, beverage of, of the summer rodeo circuit would be would be that way. So that's probably how it's going to look like for me this weekend. Going to get super hot, and then I think it's going to cool off a little bit. What I, are we looking at? When do we got? I think you might have a little might have a little rain on Friday. Might might get a little stormy on Friday. Feels everything has been backed up a day on the on the weather forecasting. Yes. All right. So it looks like. All right, so you got a forty percent chance Friday for rain. It looks like I think it looks here. like a little cold front coming through because Friday night doesn't look great. Yeah, so it looks like Friday day is strong. Boy, tomorrow's unreal, ninety and perfect. Um, and then the weekend actually, by the time you get to Sunday, you're, Sunday Monday you're cruising. Yeah, low eighties, low to mid eighties, and no real rain chances. No. Look yeah. like the rain will be Saturday. That's yeah. pretty good. So. Uh, yeah, the ice-cold beer is going to work for you. That's going to be a win. Uh, some sort of an American lager, Pilsner, whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. No. A lot of them, probably. Yeah. That's How many obligations are you already up to? You know. I, I'm right there with you. I think I'm up to two or three now already. Yeah. Yeah. There's. We reached. Um, we pr- probably reached apex parenting in, in the negative sense earlier this week. Uh, my 10-year-old, who doesn't really say no to anything, was like, wait, what am I doing? I'm doing what today? And it, he was like at dinner. And he had a sleepover on Sunday. He was up until 1.30 or something, he said. And so he was telling me, uh, like, on Tuesday morning, like, he had lacrosse camp. And then um, I think that uh, my wife and some of her friends were trying out, like, an individual lacrosse thing, like one of the high school kids. Uh, so it was kind of everybody help, everybody wins on that situation. And then he had that and then, like, some hoops. And he was like, why did you sign me up for all this? You might have a point. I took that as a way of saying, if you don't stay up till 1.30, then you'd be fine. You know? Hey, look, I played baseball in the morning, basketball in the afternoon. Right. And then, you know, whatever other things I needed to do. Swimming. I think the big thing you combat as a parent now um, and you know this with, with the two girls, what you combat is if they're not doing this stuff, they will gravitate to the screens. They gravitate to the screens. Now, they don't have phones yet, but they have buddies who do. Um, and those kids are on them. They can't take their eyes off of them. And then the, the other thing you're dealing with is, you know, the gaming stuff. So even if it's wonder, wonderful outside, you have all the options in the world, 
the pull to those screens is real. So if they're not in those things, then what are they doing? Correct. That's the tricky part. And you've you've managed it quite well. You've managed to hold off the screens for the most part. I have. Um, I kept them off of uh, like the Fortnite until the oldest one was is able to play this year. The two littles aren't. Um, he was able to play this year, but I was very limited in terms of when he could play. Not it's that my, that's it's any my different. sister, my brother-in-law. You have to. You yeah. have to. Otherwise, there's no end to it. And like a lot of, it, I'm starting to see it, especially at this age. A lot of his buddies are getting like phones, and I'm like, what do you need one for? Well, they have one. Okay, but what do you need it for? What who you what are you going to be doing on it? Nonsense. It's all, it's all just nonsense. You're not doing anything. You don't Correct. need it. Your mom takes you everywhere you go. What do you need it for? You're not doing anything. You're ten. Then I go well. Back in my day, I, you know, I didn't get one until college. The old Zach Morris, freshman Same. year. Yeah. Even Pull then, that sucker out. Even then, I don't even feel like. It might have been like junior or senior year. Like well, freshman either, year, I was still using the phone in the dorm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and those were those were also, I mean, you couldn't text on those. They didn't have screens, so not, so you couldn't text. And then obviously there was, there was no smart aspect of it, so you weren't looking up nonsense all day long. Um, so anyway, there's my get-off-the-lawn uh, speech of the day, and I suppose we've had enough fun. Let's uh, let's – we're all looking for conclusion, but this is, you know, part of the gig here is to keep you updated on where we stand with this stuff. So um, – and, and I would just say this, I think there are, there are cer- certain people who are really plugged into this process. We had Dan Graziano on on Monday. He's plugged into the process. Charles Robinson of Yahoo is absolutely plugged in, and he'll be on with us in about nine minutes. Yep. You want to know where all of this is and where it's going and, and kind of the outline of it, Charles is going to know. There's a couple others out there that are really plugged in. I think Josine is really plugged in. Um, I think if you're like the NFL perspective on some of this, the Wall Street Journal appears to be pretty plugged in on how the NFL feels about this because they're pushing that side of the agenda. In terms of, and I, I don't know how many times you were asked this yesterday, I probably got a dozen texts yesterday. What are you hearing on the length of this thing? Nothing. And guess what else? Is? Nobody else is either. Nobody knows anything. This is a closed-door, airtight process now that they're in this meeting with Suelle Robinson. There is nothing that's going to come out. I was getting texts yesterday from people going, how crazy it is Is it over there? It must be absolutely crazy. I'm like, uh, I can count the number of people in this building on one hand. Well, Not two really of them are crazy. you and I. Yeah, it's quickly dwindling. It, no. It, it started a lot today, and even like as the day yeah. has gone on, uh, by 3 o'clock, this place is a ghost town when we get off the air. I'm like, there, there's nothing going on. There's nothing to do. All, from from this franchise's standpoint, it's waiting like everyone else. Yeah, there's there isn't anything. So anybody who's pretending like they are knowing what someone is thinking on this, it's impossible. And and by the way, there isn't anybody who who knows Sue L. Robinson and what she's thinking. Correct. So this is an independent uh you know, independent process here that is separate from the NFL or separate from the NFLPA, although hired by both, mutually agreed upon. So nobody has a clue what this could look like. Um, we do know that a reportedly that a second round of hearing the hearings continue today. Uh, these are in Delaware, right? Because I believe that's where her home is. So that's Correct. in Delaware where these are taking place. Um, a source has told uh, our buddy Dan Graziano that the hearing may con- continue even past Wednesday. He, he said that with us. Like this could go through the week. We, we kind of laid out that timetable for you in terms of, um, you know, this week, uh, Jeremy Fowler reporting yesterday that usually these are one or two days, but this one could stretch further than that. Um, in terms of a process for ruling or penalty, 
think of it as, I think, kind of two windows. Officially, you could get something by the end of this week. If that doesn't happen, then I would assume it would be the beginning of the next week because the week after next week, the holiday week, everybody's out. So that's the NFL. The business of the NFL is closed there. Um, so so that's kind of lays the groundwork for where it is. Ian Rapp dialed in on this as well, uh, the NFL Network. Um, he had this to say, residing the timing of what's next. Here's where it goes. Barring some sort of settlement, which would be uh, unforeseen and a big surprise, at this point, the hearing will conclude. Then there'll be briefs filed by both sides over the course of the next several days. So if this goes to completion, expect it to take at least a couple weeks uh, for Deshaun Watson and all of the NFL to hear how long he will be suspended. Okay, well, that's what we said. Yeah. So a couple weeks would be not next week, but the week after. That would be two weeks. So that, yeah. that gets you, you know, kind of into that area of what it could be. I thought that there was a chance, and there still could be, that this could be quick, that this could be something that's decided by Friday. But if it's not, then I think it takes the next week to kind of marinate, and then you get an answer maybe at the end of the following week. I, I, I'm taking the approach that it's like a, like a Supreme Court-type deal. Like she, she's going to meet with the parties and go back and review everything and go through things, and if she has follow-up questions, probably following up on that, and then makes a, makes a ruling. And I don't see that being done by Friday at 5 o'clock. I don't either. I don't either. No. So that, that, that could play out further, and, and we'll see. And so we're all kind of just waiting on that. And because this is a new process, because this is an individual that we haven't dealt with before, nobody really knows what to expect. Nobody knows what she's thinking, except for whoever maybe she talks to in her personal life. That would be the limit of the people who know what she's thinking with any of yeah. this. Um, we, we said this yesterday on the show, Bears repeating, every side of this, no matter where you're getting your reporting or where you're getting the information, understand that there is motive behind what is being written and what is being said to push agendas. All the pieces matter, a constant lesson from the wire. So that's kind of where we stand at this point. For a better understanding, though, um, we're going to be joined next by Charles Robinson. We will, we will get to that. We'll do a little higher or lower on the program as well today. AFC North behind enemy lines. How did the offseason go? We shift to Baltimore today. Clifton Brown uh, get a little bit of sense out of how everyone feels about Lamar Jackson over there. That is coming up at 2.30, as I mentioned, higher or lower in the 2 o'clock hour of the program as well. Big one coming up next. Charles Robinson of Yahoo gets some perspective on where we stand with all of this coming up next. We're off and running on a first Friday. Cleveland Browns Daily, 50 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Another gorgeous day out there. Heading into what should be a very, very good weekend. Uh, as we mentioned, there are a couple of people who are really plug plugged in on the process of this, and I think that's the best we can do in these circumstances is um, such an unprecedented circumstance as this is and that it is the first one of these we've had with an independent arbiter, um, with Sue L. Robinson being the case, former federal judge uh, appointed by George H.W. Bush in 1991 and then served out that federal appointment in 2017. Um, so has been in that role for a very, very long time and obviously very dialed into uh, to that. And I would think that, I mean, 
both sides would be prepared for everything that would come with that. But try if you're out there trying to guess or use precedent of past rulings, I think that's fool's gold because there's no way of knowing how this thing is all going to go. Um, one of the people really dialed into this is Charles Robinson. We hope to have Charles on here momentarily. Um, we uh, I, I would think that Josina Anderson has been particularly dialed into this. Dan Graziano has been pretty well dialed into it. Uh, Rappaport pretty good on the procedure in terms of what happened, what's expected. Those are some of the names that you're that I that I think are doing a pretty good job when it comes to uh, getting down to what's actually happening in this process. Yeah, I, yeah I, and every day there's something new. You got to, you know, I spend thirty to thirty minutes to an hour every day going through what might make sense, what might not make sense, what's what what's clickbait, what's trying to. <laughs> Well, you know, I think the other thing is is there's the whole notion – there's so many parts to this. There's, you know, what does the NFL want? What is Watson and his camp open to accepting? If I mean, if you, we go back to negotiating, which was taking place up until last week, you know, what were they open to accepting, if anything? Um, what does the NFLPA think is reasonable? Um, all of which balanced and juxtaposed against a process that's never happened in this way. So that's what's leading to so much wild speculation. That's what's leading to so much guessing on this thing. So there's two parts of it. There's that part of it. What does she think of all of this? Sue L. Robinson, what does she think of it? How is she going to adjudicate it? And then the other part of it is um, trying to guess what the penalty could be because, again, you have no precedent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And meanwhile, the NFL world is waiting. And here's the interesting thing. Once this happens, whatever it's going to be, I mean, th- th- this is all that's going on in the NFL right now. That's it. I, I mean, <laughs> you-, you start going through stuff, and, and I feel like the, the NFL really has uh, has come to a screeching halt here, and everybody's waiting, and I believe we do have Charles Robinson. All right, Charles is here. So, in, and as I mentioned, this you want to talk about plugged in. This is one. Charles Robinson, uh, fantastic job, senior NFL reporter and investigative reporter at Yahoo Sports. Charles, thanks for taking the time with us today. Uh, incredible reporting and, and kind of laying out the facts of what to expect this week. We're a day into what is now on, going on two days of hearings in Delaware with Sue L. Robinson. In terms of from your perspective, as you've kind of learn what you have on this process. Uh, what makes it so much different other than the fact that Robinson is in it? And obviously that's a tremendous difference than what we're used to. But in terms of the process of it, the, the way that this is being handled, how is this different and unique in that regard? Well, I, I think the fact that you're looking at um, a situation where this is a new, because it's new, they, they collectively bargain this disciplinary officer being set in place to resolve the, the past beefs between the union and, and the league, the, this argument that the union always had that, Hey, this is whole things rigged. Roger, essentially, you know, he's the ultimate decision maker and any arbitrator who comes into play is, is, is always tainted by the fact that they're paid by the league, yada, yada, yada. So now you got this, this supposedly independent arbitrator in place and, and it's put the league in a somewhat precarious place. And I think that's kind of why we've seen the leaks we have is because, you know, the league is sitting there and they're looking at the optics of the situation and they're saying, we got to get, you know, we got to get it out there what we want, you know, or, or less, at least let people know we during, you know, the negotiations that went down prior to going to Sue Robinson, we wanted a year and it was going to be a finite period of time. Deshaun Watson serves the year. He comes back. No way was Watson having that. His camp wasn't having that. The union wasn't having that. I think part of that was because the contract would have told 
and that essentially knocks you know forty six million dollars off of um, his contract by starting it one year later than it should have been started. But I also think the NFL knew there's a chance Sue Robinson looks at this and she comes back with a, a much lighter penalty than we're going to be comfortable with from an optics standpoint. Say Sue Robinson comes back with 10 games, eight games, six games, whatever it might be. Um, do we want to appeal that? If we appeal that, what we're essentially saying is we just agreed to this, this new collectively bargained process. And now we're already saying that this, this former judge who sat on a federal bench for over 20 years is in some way incompetent, that we don't think she made the right decision. We're going to appeal it, and we're essentially going to dictate what the ultimate suspension is. If they were to do that, and the union definitely recognizes this, if they did that in this case, they're basically blowing up the, the new arbitration process that they set up um, in the first big case. And, and it makes the league look like, hey, nothing's really changed. We could just appeal whatever we want and, and ultimately set the suspension. So I think the league would be inclined to not want to appeal it. And I think that's why you now hear this, this leak that just came out from the AP that, hey, maybe if Sue Robinson came back with six to eight games, the NFL would not be inclined to appeal that and, and everybody can, can just move on. To me, I kind of felt like that's the NFL setting guardrail. We love, we love a season. We love one year. If that doesn't happen, we really need it to fall in the six to eight game range, which, by the way, I can tell you this, the union, the union's lawyers, and in their, their talks with Watson, it's been conveyed pretty clearly to him that, hey, if this comes in under 10 games, you should just accept it and move on and and let's get this over with. All right, lots there uh, to to take in. Let, let's start with the, the leaks over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal and the year to indefinite. I view that... Tom, Charles, as soon as I read, I viewed it as, uh, as as kind of what exactly what you laid out. Like this is what we want. This is the big look. We tried. This is what we wanted to do here. We want to get this out here that this is what was expected. How were when you go back to as you understand the negotiations between Watson, the NFLPA, and the and the and the NFL, was there any could they not get even remotely close when it came to the, the negotiations on suspension and, and why did that break down the way that it did? And how did we get to where we are now? Cause it feels like that could have solved a lot of this. Yeah, it was never close. It was never, okay. I, okay. the thing was, um, well, there are a couple of different, there are a couple of reasons why it didn't, it wasn't close because first off you had the way that the union was approaching this. They're, they're sitting there, they bring in Jeffrey Kessler. Okay. Outside hired gun who as an attorney has, had combat with the NFL for, you know, a really long time, usually over labor, but at times over discipline as well. And the union stance was we're here to preserve Deshaun Watson's money. Like that's our job right now. We have to protect his ability to earn the contract that he signed. That's what Kessler's there for. So how do we mount a defense? Well, first and foremost, the union gets together with Kessler, start talking about this. And they like, well, look at the owners, all this, there are different investigations that happen with these owners. There are times where, no discipline was rendered. Robert Kraft, for example, and Robert Kraft, the whole, um, you know, massage parlor thing happens. And, you know, the NFL indicates, hey, you know, if, if this is a violation of, of our, our personal conduct policy, it, it's going to be applicable here. That essentially goes away. Now, there's reasons for that. That's a long, complicated thing. Robert Kraft, um, you know, essentially knocked out his own charges against him. There were some unconstitutional things that happened in the and the, the police thing, all that stuff. I don't want to get into all that, but there, there were some reasons yeah. why the NFL, I think, never felt it wanted to move forward with that. But then you have Jerry Jones, 
Uh, you have Daniel Snyder, that investigation. Um, so basically the union's saying, let's go after him and, and try to protect Deshaun Watson by saying, hey, look at how you handle owners. You're going to suspend this guy for a year when look at look, your own owners don't really suffer any kind of suspension that, that's similar to that. Um, in, in what I think the union would, would try to argue in particular, like a Dan Snyder was maybe even a more egregious situation. People can, can debate that all they want, but I think that's how the union was approaching it. As for the NFL, I think there, there's two approaches here that mattered. Number one, Calvin Ridley was suspended for a calendar year for, um, you know, a, a gambling, essentially, you know, taking part in a parlay. Okay. And, I think the league sat there and said, okay, you know, that year suspension, it's not unprecedented. We've suspended coaches and players in the past for the year. Go back to Bounty Gate. Um, but this is something where it, it's involving a revenue stream that we're chasing. It's very serious. We're going to handle it seriously so he gets a one-year suspension. I think they thought from an optics standpoint, if we now come back with Deshaun Watson and we, you know, we recommend six games or eight games, people are going to compare the two and say, wait a minute. Why does this guy get a one calendar year suspension? It's because it involves gambling. But Sean Watson, with at least at that time, 24 pending civil cases, um, you know, why people are going to play the is this apples to apples, apples to oranges game and say, why is one worse than the other? And then they're going to look at the money and they're going to say, Calvin Ridley messed with the revenue stream. Deshaun Watson has not necessarily messed with a, with a revenue stream, and that's where the league is falling on us. So I think a lot of that had to do with optics. And then I think the second part of it, why the NFL was so adamant about it being a year, was because they knew that's how they could inflict a financial penalty. They knew if we give him a year, the contract tolls. And if the contract tolls, his, the deal doesn't start until 2023. That gets him – that knocks off – you know, it's one year later he hits free agency down the line. He can never get the $46 million back that he would have gotten in 2023 that then converts to the $1 million base salary. So basically the NFL said not only are we, are we docking him a year, but we're also giving him a financial penalty without coming out and just saying, hey, we're fining you $40-plus million. No, we're just you're going to get fined by the fact that your contract tolls and there's really no way for you ever to make that up um, in the aggregate. So – I think part of it was optics and part of it was going after the money from the NFL standpoint. And then I think from the union standpoint, it was let's defend the money and let's defend the money through how the NFL has handled other disciplinary situations with owners. And and Charles, Roger Goodell's own words have been used. I'm sure going to be used against him from the NFLPA when he is saying that, you know, owners, commissioners, players, all of us are going to be held to a high state, the same standard. Um, And you, you look at the Snyder stuff, especially my goodness, that's 20 years of, of, of various abuse and allegations that have been against him for, for a couple of decades of running the Washington football team. How, How do you, is there anything in Sue Robinson's past from her federal time as a judge that you could look into and try to, make some sense or guess of how she will view the comparison of, of for, let's just use Snyder in this case, Snyder and right. this instance with Watson. Well, okay. So here's the thing with Robinson, particularly the federal judgeship, um, because she's in Delaware. A lot of that has been handling corporate related cases. You know, it's a lot of patent um, mm-hmm. suits. Um, it's, it's very much steeped in um, the reality that Delaware's uh, a, it's a safe harbor for corporations, so you end up with a ton, a massive caseload of you know corporate-related 
you know, issues. And so it's, it's hard to really look at that and map out where would Sue Robinson fall when it comes to a case like this, even though in some ways it is sort of the corporation, the NFL versus the player. Um, but, you know, Sue Robinson also, that, that wasn't, that's not the only part of her legal background that matters. Um, she was a district, she was a, um, uh, an assistant district attorney, which, you know, it's a, a situation where you're, you're sitting in a chair where you prosecute crimes. Um, she does have that in her background. I don't know. It, it's difficult to pin down, you know, how, you know, how she's really going to navigate this because it's just hard to find something in her past that's really truly applicable. And I would, I would hesitate to say, hey, you know, in her past as a, as a federal judge, she's probably leaned a little more into um, protecting corporations. So is she going to protect um, the NFL? And it's, you know, essentially it's corporate rules, that being the personal conduct policy versus the, you know, individual rights of a player. Some people would probably look at that and say, I, I would tend to believe that a conservative judge who was appointed by, you know, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and, and sat, you know, even though she overlapped multiple different, um, you know, presidents, she's still a conservative judge. She still stands in favor, typically, um, you know, in favor of protecting corporations. So that's how she's going to, to handle this. I, I just, again, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read yeah. too much into that. This is unprecedented. We don't know <laughs> where she's going to come down on this. So, um, that's why this first case is such a big indicator, not only for the NFL, but also the union, how the process is going to work and how Sue Robinson is going to work. Mutually agreed, agreed upon Robinson, right? Both NFLPA and NFL. Yeah. How did, how and did they paid. settle on and paid compensated by both? Yeah. How was she, how did they settle on her? How did she pass the mustard for both sides? Um, well, you know, the, so basically when the CBA was hammer, hammered out and they agreed, Hey, let's have this, this, jointly paid and agreed upon, you know, disciplinary officer. The way it was explained to me was there was, you know, a pool of candidates. And remember, the union, NFL's, uh, the NFLPA, they have a lot of D.C. ties, so they're familiar with a lot of, of, you know, judges. And, you know, I don't know what it was in particular that caused okay. them to select her. Um, but, you know, she was someone, when, when I've spoken to the union about her going back a couple of months ago, um, when it became clear that this was something that was going to advance to her, you know, they had, you know, high praise for her. They basically said, look, you know, we, we think she's someone who could do the job. She's got really good, solid credentials. Um, we think that her background has, has been fair. Uh, they didn't have an issue that she was, you know, uh, appointed uh, by a, a conservative president and, and tended to probably have conservative corporate leanings. I think they kind of felt like, that's more of just where she was positioned being in, um, you know, sitting on a federal uh, bench in Delaware. Uh, they were impressed by the fact that, you know, she moved up in, in the ranks in terms of the federal judgeship. You know, she held the number one seat by the time, um, you know, she, she stepped down in 2017. So, you know, I, I don't think they felt like, Hey, this is any kind of a problem here. If anything, I think the union was sort of reticent to, have any level of confidence in how it would unfold in terms of the appeal. They're sort of sitting there going, well, look, at the end of the day, we can appeal it. We go to Roger or his designee. Roger, the NFL appeals that they go to Roger's designee. Obviously, we are at a disadvantage there. But I think the union also believes that the NFL knows um, it would be a really bad look to step on a federal judge immediately. 
that was, you know, jointly agreed upon in the first case. Like, if the NFL yeah. comes out and says, nope, not the right decision, uh, we're going to appeal it and we're going to set the, the standard ourselves. In some ways, I think the union would then look and say, okay, well, you've just taken this judge, that this former judge that we agreed upon, and you've basically made her position moot in the process. You can decide anyway, and you've shown you're going to do that, and so we're right back to square one again with how um, you know discipline is, is meted out. Talking to the great Charles Robinson, senior NFL reporter, investigative reporter at Yahoo Sports, as you can obviously tell, very plugged into all of this. Uh, a couple more for you, if you do, if you have the time, sir. I want to ask you on the Watson defense, and just so that we all understand it right. So it'll be Rusty Harden representing Watson uh, to Robinson, and then it will be Jeffrey Kessler for the NFLPA, and his his focus there will be on the financial. Is it? Do I have that right? Yeah. So it's so Harden, Harden, and and Kessler are going to work together, and okay. Harden is more involved in the particulars of so the the way the NFL is approaching this. They want to take a narrow scope. Um, they they ultimately chose uh, five women, and you know from what I understand, they had more interviews than just the five women. Actually, I think out of the five women, only four um, sat with NFL investigators, but they felt like they had enough um, evidence and contemporaneous evidence with the fifth to also add um, the fifth individual woman. Um, now that said, basically the facts of what the women are alleging and then what was, um, brought up in the process of depositions and the investigation by, by Watson's legal defense team, that's what, what Rusty will be handling. The particulars of the allegations directly against Watson, whereas Kessler is going to handle more of precedent. Okay. What's the precedent of discipline, you know, in terms of the league office, He's going to attack uh, the lack of discipline where it concerns owners, or at least their perceived lack of discipline, and how that should should factor and weigh into um, ultimately, you know, what a suspension should look like. That's so you have it right. That's that's how they're going to okay. divide it up. Kessler's going to handle more of the the broader overview of how the disciplinary process works and precedent, you know, from from past situations. Whereas Harden's more going to be answering in defense of of the direct allegations all right last one for you i'll get you out of here on this charles and i can't thank you enough for your time and i won't hold you to this because to your point there is no precedent what is your best guess on a timeline for all of this to come to conclusion uh <laughs> that's what everybody wants <laughs> i want to know that i would be great i'd be so happy if you could answer that um you know i when i talked to someone with the union i said you know how long do you think this could go I, their first ballpark was they thought that look this could go two to three days in terms of the hearing itself and then in terms of um, Sue Robinson's ultimate decision the I mean it was as broad as it was just like hey we expect a decision before he would we, he would take the field in, in training camp so okay their ideal um, I think would be like mid July like let, okay. let's get this hammered out hopefully you know within a week of the reporting date um, for the Browns but again they don't know I mean it's ultimately going to be how you know Sue Robinson wants to to weigh this out and the time she wants to take to sort through not only the exhibits that are presented to her but she also has to to sort through all the different arguments and there's the potential where she could follow up and ask a few questions if she feels like something doesn't get addressed um, directly in the hearing, she can still reach out to the to the camps jointly and say, "Hey, I got a couple other questions for you to answer." But um, I think they thought, at least initially, 
the um, the proceedings themselves in Delaware would take about three days. Now we'll see. We're okay. in day two, um, yeah. and I wish I could tell you exactly how it's going on inside that room. But nobody knows, man. Unfortunately, yeah, it's it's. I, I, I give them credit, other than the fact that the NFL, you know, keeps seeming to leak. You know the. Um, this idea of what a suspension should look like, the, the actual details of you know, what Robinson's asking and how the leaning feels um, is, has been pretty quiet. I, I will say this, though. It's interesting that following day one, th- for the AP to come out and say you know, via source that the NFL you know, would not be inclined to um, a- appeal if it's six to eight games – that's an interesting reality, mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder if maybe in day one the NFL, based on maybe questions Sue Robinson had or how the first day of proceedings went, the NFL's sitting there saying, "Hey, we better we better set the ground floor for this. Like we've set what what we want it to be with the with the calendar year. Maybe we need to get the ground floor out there too to send a message to Sue Robinson that if you come in at six to eight, we're not going to appeal you. If you come in below six to eight, all bets are off." Charles, I can't thank you enough for your time uh, and making us smarter today. Thank you for everything you do. Appreciate your time today, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. He's the best. That's Charles Robinson on where we stand with all of this. And um, I, I, I was literally taking notes with all of it. So there's a lot of good stuff there in terms of the process and what to expect and reading tea leaves and the pieces. And we'll kind of react to some of the stuff uh, that Charles said there. We'll do that after this quick timeout. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Certainly a lot of bad advice out there about gambling from secret methods to picking lottery numbers to betting big when you're on a roll. The miss can lose you money and get you in a lot of trouble. So before you wager, find out what's real and what isn't at keepitfunohio.com. Um, look, what, what the last question I asked to Charles in the interview um, is because I, I, I'm sure you get this all the time. I get it all the time. When, when are we going to know? What are we going to know? What's it going to be? When are we going to know it? This is the guy who is as plugged in as anybody on the process of all of this. And I think what you got in that interview is a pretty direct picture, very clear picture of the process. And while the, the process is crystal clear, the result is entirely foggy. And so almost anyone that is projecting when, how, what this is going to look like doesn't have the first damn clue. The thing he said at the end was pretty interesting, though. The AP story, because that is, I mean, that's the Associated Press. You're not messing around there. Um, and the AP story getting out there that the NFL would not appeal a 6-8 to eight gamer, um, that coming off of a weekend full in the, Was- in the Wall Street Journal where it was uh, a season at least and then indefinitely. So that kind of tells you, I like how he phrased that. At one point, he, I think he phrased it in the interview um, as the NFL putting up guardrails for what is acceptable on those things. I do think, just me speaking, it almost feels to me like it has to be one or the other just based on all of the really smart people who are plugged in on this. It almost feels like it's, a, it's either a full year or it's six to eight. Because if it's 12, that almost feels like a full year even though it's not. You might as well be. You're going to come back and play five games at that point? You know, what's the point of that? Um, So it feels like it's either one window or the other 
and the other doesn't seem very likely to me, so my hunch is it would be in the first window. But we'll see. Too bad you don't have a red light. God bless it. That's how this is going today. Strike that up for a demerit. Segura would be so proud. He would be. Be so happy. He would be ecstatic. Right in the middle of all this heavy lifting we're doing. And you're heavy lifting all week. (laughs) Should have seen it at 3 o'clock yesterday, kids. Man put on a a man performance. He was on a gurney, man. (laughs) Um, it, It definitely is one of those situations where if it's more than eight games, you're, you're right. It, it, I mean, more than eight games, you're, Jacoby Brissett is a good quarterback. Is Jacoby Brissett well, a 17-game quarterback? Yeah, well, I mean, I he would be. He would be if he has to be. I, I think that, like, if it were 12 or something like that, would you even play Watson that, at that's that point? What, that's what I mean. It, it, you you kind of just screw up the feng shui or whatever you have going right, at sure. that point. I agree. You know, it, it's either half See, a season two windows. or it's the full season. Yeah. Um, the the other uh, couple other things that, that I thought were really interesting in there was how um, how Sue Robinson was selected, the credentials that she has, uh, 16 years on a federal bench, um, paid by both sides. Um, and also one of the things that we talked about, you know, over the course of the last week or so on this show, um, you know, this notion that the NFL is not going to want to undermine their own process. This is a collectively bargained process, and if they undermine it with appealing it, then this is the first time out. Then what's the point of it? You've undermined, in a sense, the CBA. So I, you know, I don't know that I don't know that they're going to do that. I think that they're going to that both sides. I, mean, I could see the, I could see the NFLPA appealing it almost no matter what, unless it was zero, appealing it no matter what. But I don't see any. I see very. I see. I think it's very long odds that Goodell or anybody that he would again independently select as an arbiter on this in the in the appeal process would go against this original process this is the process everybody agreed upon so it feels like whatever she comes down with we live by and the appeal goes to goodell not to her no right and it goes to him or he can appoint somebody else to hear the appeal but it would be somebody that he's he's appointing he's appointing and then you're dragging it out further because you got it Let's be honest, and Charles said it, with, with, without saying it totally, you you got to have this put to bed before training camp. It's not fair to the football team. It's not fair to all parties involved to not know before training camp. Well, and the other part of that, you know, I thought that when I asked him, and I, I wouldn't hold his feet to it, nor would I ever, but he's plugged in and you ask, best guess on timeline, that's another one of those pay attention a little bit because – there will be there's presentation of both sides that took place yesterday taking place today that could go on to tomorrow yep then sue robinson is going to look at all this and she may have follow-ups as he said and we talked about that she could have follow-ups to either side and then she would take the time to make the judgment so as long as you're you know middle of july heck last week of july whenever as long as you're in that window you have plenty of time to sort it out. Um, but I wouldn't expect anything, and it didn't sound like Charles would either, I would not expect anything imminent, that this is going to be something wrapped up quickly because there's a lot of – there are so many layers to this. Um, I asked him about the Snyder stuff. Just use Snyder as an example. 
um, of, of what has happened for 20 years there. How will she weigh that in that? Should she weigh that? How's she going to interpret it? How's she going to? I mean, the NFL's code of conduct is pretty nebulous. How are you going to interpret what that means? And how is it different? And remember Goodell's own words, commissioner, owners, players, all judged by the same standard. Well, are you sure? This is how you did it with Snyder. You say you did it with Jones. What are we sure? That that's the other layer to it. So there's she's it's a tough needle to thread. Well, it, I didn't even think about this example, but the whole Calvin Ridley, you know, your long suspension right. for gambling. <laughs> right. You know, that that he mentioned it. That could play a factor in 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 things. Well, Ridley's thing too is I mean that is a revenue stream that the NFL is pursuing and a big part of being able to pursue it is that there is integrity in the game. Correct. On the field. Right? Because that's the thing that you're paying the closest bit of attention to. Look at Swag. Black quarter zip. I thought he Black would be 90s. on vacation already. Never's on vacation. I grinding. well, that always grinding. confirmed. Always be grinding. Yeah. All right, so that's where you stand on that. A lot of good information uh, from Charles uh, in that interview. Um, Kareem Hunt is at his youth football camp today. Ashley Baystock of Cleveland.com caught up with him and asked him about his future with the Browns. Here's what Kareem had to say. Last year here you told us you hope Nick got paid soon, and it was like three weeks later he did, so what do you got for us this year? <laughs> I hope I get paid. <laughs> so, uh, you know, whatever they you know, decide, they know I'm going to come out there and give them my all. I'll do whatever I can to help the team win. How important is it to you to stick around beyond this year? I mean, it's important. You know, I get to do stuff like this all the time. You know, my hometown, you know, my high school, middle schools over there. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's important. You know, it's good to be around my family. Everybody's here, you know, coaches. There's a lot of familiar faces out here. Yeah, I mean, I we, we love having Kareem here. I think we forget how big his loss was last year and we talked about it all the time on the show but his him not being there was so noticeable uh last season when he went down with an injury um you've got a lot of running backs though and so who knows where that all shit that's out. a fascinating room to watch five running backs i mean you really you probably need three you At just most. and you drafted one yeah so where, where does that leave everyone else? Well, Felton's the one that's interesting. Does he slide? Can he slide back into the receiver room? I mean, but th- these are going to be the last cuts on the team when you talk, you know, Felton and Ford and, you know, where all of that works as you get down to that original number that you need to get down to. So, um, but I, I think what, ever, what all of us would want, what Browns fans want is just one, one full year with Kareem and Nick both healthy for the year. Like, what's that look like? You know, we haven't had them, you know, like when you play with the Browns on Madden and it's pure joy because you've got, they're both there all the time. Like that's, you just want that for a year. You want a little bit of taste of, of what that could look like. Um, And by the way, earlier in his sit down with the media at his camp, he did say, I'm healthy. Everything's great. I, I, but I am very cognizant of that, you know, that ankle area and that calf muscle and, uh, I, I spend a lot of time every day now stretching both of those. <laughs> yeah, for like, sure. It, it was a little bit of a scary incident, wake-up call. I mean, I think we all thought the worst, the fact he was even able to come back was impressive. I remember texting Z because it happened right in front of him, and I said, oh, God. I said, what did you see? And he just goes, not good. No. Like we thought it was done. You know, yeah, it was no, no contact. He, he literally planted and 
went the went the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. So he's, I mean, this it's when you, and we'll we'll play. We'll get into J- Jacoby Brissett in the second hour. Nathan went one on one with Jacoby. We'll play that probably around two fifteen, two eighteen, something like that. You you can hear uh, some of that. If it is Brissett for an extended period of time, those two backs are going to be critical in setting it all up. Um, I think the other thing to pay attention to, and we'll, we'll do higher or lower here in a second, in terms of um, best rosters in the NFL from PFF on ESPN.com. Um, I, I when we have people on, I don't know that, and even when I talk about the Browns in general, I don't know if people have a full appre- appreciation of how good our defense is, and and how talented that it is, especially the back seven, and so that will play a part in all of this as well. But you can play some really complimentary football if you have to, if there is an extended absence for Deshaun Watson. By the time all of this yeah, is said, no done. matter what, like the quarterback doesn't have to do it all in no. this offense. No, it's been set up that way. Yep, it has been. And and again, like I said, you, we will get to the uh, Brissette. We'll 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 play that uh, interview Nathan did with Jacoby um, from a couple of weeks ago. We'll play that for you coming up here in the second hour of the program. Uh, we'll also go behind enemy lines in the AFC North in Baltimore. What is kind of the tail of the tape there? Lamar Jackson came to minicamp. Feels like it's kumbaya, is it? We'll get some perspective on that. And coming up at the top of the hour, we hit you with a little better or worse, higher or lower. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. And the Bath Authority can give you that bathroom of your dreams. You can transform your current bathroom into a custom bath for a spa-like experience. Let the Bath Authority make it a reality for you at a fraction of the cost of the competitors. The Bath Authority is Cleveland's premier bath and shower remodeler, expert, factory-trained installers. Give them a call now. You get 500 bucks off your next custom bath or shower remodel. That number is 216-220-8399 or go to thebathauthority.com. Guys, simply put, it's where affordability meets quality. They have an enormous selection of bath projects. They're all made here in the United States. Your bathroom can go from outdated to outstanding in the matter of a day. If you're in need of a tub to shower, conversion they'll take care of you on that front as well so pay for your products with expert installers at thebathauthority.com 216-220-8399 time for a little higher or lower i'll even call it that since z's not here for you Gibby. wow i'm so honored yeah you're welcome pretty generous and do what i can do hey man when i can do it we're getting through it we're doing the week we're thriving uh zagura was texting me this morning i said i said dude a, get off your phone. <clears throat> can't. B, like, is it cold up there? Because you all look like you are buttoned up That's and, right. in jackets. And he's like, no, it's like 75 to 80. I was like, well, then put on some shorts. <laughs> How about a T-shirt? Like, you're wearing sweatshirts. I, maybe, maybe breezy. Maybe it's breezy in the morning. He's on assignment. Who knows? I've never been up there. I've never been... We we have the place at the lake, so we always just go here to the lake. I'm I'm assuming it, it. I'm sure that it's you know Lake Michigan, the beaches and the dunes and all of that. I think are I'm sure they're nicer. The dunes are nice. They're pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. They they are very cool. But you're, yeah. The further north you go, 
it's it's chilly. Well, yeah. So I was thinking about, um, you know, I think. I, and by the way, like I saw Monday, there were like 800 flights canceled in the country on Monday. So, like, as I'm weighing this potential Montana trip at the end of July, and I'm thinking about $1,500 tickets and flights canceled, I'm going, this just does not seem like the smart thing to do at this time. Um, so I was trying to think of places, you know, that within an eight-hour drive that I could go to. And I was looking at, like, the Traverse City, Mackinac Island area. And that is all of that. That is eight hours up there. It, it's up every there. So bit I, of eight hours. Have you I done that? relatives that lived in the Upper Peninsula. Okay. Okay. So UP, you've been so. to, like, Mackinac Island and all that? Yes. and Okay. Yeah, it, it gets chilly. It, it's not like it. The what am I doing? Like, I take the fam. What are we doing if I go up there? Yeah, you can go You can go in the water. You can hang out. There's pools. There's things to do. I mean, it, it, it's very comfortable. It's it's very Mayberry-esque. All right. Okay. You, you would, it, similar to Destin and, and things to do. All right. You know, th- there's not really the resorts. There's one big, nice hotel. That's in Mackinac, right? Yes, the big one. Yeah, yeah, and they got no 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 vehicles there, right? It's like all horses and carriages. That's the deal. I don't know the answer to that. All right, off the top of my head. And have you done Traverse City? Traverse City is fun. A lot of bars, a lot of breweries. Bootsy um, like that. Yeah, he could thrive. Grand Rapids, I love Grand Rapids. A buddy of mine lives there. Yeah. I've not been. There, there's some there's some fun places there. So. I was reading, there was a tweet from a guy, I don't even know his name, his name is Jason Aiton. Okay. He's a contributing editor, tech columnist, uh, Inc. Magazine or something. Sure. He said, I, he, he's based out of Lansing, Michigan. He said, I'm on a Delta flight from GRR to MSP. I don't know what airports those are. Minneapolis is MSP. Okay. Delta just offered... Ten grand for people to give up their seats. Ten what? Thousand dollars. He then follows up and says, "Yes, all six of us are still on the flight. I don't want to talk about it." What? You said G A G R R Airport. Yes. That's Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids to Minneapolis. To Minneapolis, and they offered ten thousand dollars. Yeah. For you to get off? I'm getting off that plane. I'm getting off the plane. And by the way... You could drive to Minneapolis. Yeah. It might cost you... With a rental car and everything, it might cost you a thousand bucks. Here's the only deal. If he has some sort of elaborate vacation that is booked somewhere else, some resorty thing, and my guess is is that Minneapolis isn't the final destination, that instead he has a connecting flight that would get him there, and his expenses that he's poured into that have are over the ten grand. To where it's, it would be a, a net loss for him, even with the ten grand. I I I don't know. I, I feel like I'm getting off that plane, and I'm taking my kids and my wife with me, and they're not. This is there's no debate here. <laughs> well, again, yeah, you just you have to see what the number. I even if I got to cancel the vacation. Good news. Where do you want to go next time? You just have to make sure that it's because you're going to lose the vacation. Correct. So if you've spent ten thousand on the vacation, it's a wash. It, correct. But if so you haven't, it, you know, if you haven't, or you have a, some sort of cancellation policy, or you can hop in a car and make it to Minneapolis in time. Like, say your flights to from Minneapolis is until the next day to wherever you're going. Yeah. 
how kids were getting in the car. I'm going to do about 80 miles an hour. We're going to get there. It's, it might cost us an extra 500 bucks. I've never heard of such a thing of 10,000. I've never heard I of I looked such a at thing. that and I said that that is not true. That can't possibly be true. Oh, but it is. It appears. Wow. The other the only the other issue that I have is I do have a hard time like it's I don't know if it's like the just the Woody Hayes thing like I have a hard time like spending much money in Michigan. I'm not crazy about that. So we'll see. Really? We'll see what I can do. Yeah. It, uh, that that part never bothered me. He says, "Go to Gatlinburg." What am I? What's in? I don't know what's in Gatlinburg. People like going there and up in the mountains. What am I doing? Hiking and we're. I'm not a hiker. I'm not. I'm not that kind of explorer. All right. Let me. Let's see where. where I, am I, I don't want to hike like Pigeon oh, Forge. Oh, it looks pretty. Yeah, it, it looks beautiful. I, got I, some... I have no interest in like going on walks or hikes. There's got to be stuff for the kids. There's got to be some water parks. That type of stuff. I mean, I, I think that's the minimum. Requ- oh yeah, they do. They have some of that. Madison, our board up says Gatlinburg is great for drinking. Perfect. All right, that's maybe I should go. Madison, to I've got little children. For gosh sakes, we can't have yeah, that. Bootsy can thrive. There's a hot tub too. Yeah, I mean, you can't put little kids in a hot tub, Madison. Oh, I don't you know. have a hot tub. Yeah, but you got to have it at like a hundred. Anything over like, well, they're old enough now where they can be in it. But did you know that? Like little, little kids, you can't put them in anything over like 100 degrees for a certain amount of time. Like their hearts can't get in the water. Really? Yeah. Not yeah. great. Not great. Not not the father of the year right here. <laughs> well, I sure. think it's like when they're really little, like when they're two. Okay, good. I, that was yeah. before me. They got a Skylift Park in Gatlinburg. All right. Looks like they got some stuff. I mean, I've heard it's a good time down there, uh, especially in Tennessee, like I think it's Pigeon Forge. Yeah, you my, dropped my that a buddy, couple times. I don't know anything about a Pigeon my, Forge. My buddy goes down there on vacation. He's probably listening. He'll text me here momentarily. They they take a family trip every year. Go stay in the mountains and eh, put me on a beach. Give me. Yeah, and the closest one of those is what, like Outer Banks? Is that the closest one you can get to other than like the Lake Great Lakes beaches? Is like Outer Banks or like Virginia? Jersey Shore. Is that closer? Boy, I, mean, I, I can't. I, I don't. Might be the same. I know any time that I have buddy people who are like friends of mine are from Philly, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we go down to the shore," and I'm like, "Oh, like yo, yeah, Jersey Shore, Tommy with the pe- with the cheese rolls and all that. Like that's what you're talking about." And they're like, they get so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. You sure? You sure it's not? I that? don't know. I think the whole state's that. It feels like the whole state's that. I don't know. You tell me, Bob. Yeah. No, I. I Look, it does feel like it's the Carolina beaches are the closest best, but I don't know how best they are. A lot of people here go to South Carolina. I know that a lot of people drive to like Hilton Head, yeah. that area. I, I don't understand the whole driving thing either. When you can hop, uh, well, you can't I, hop planes I, 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 anymore. You're coach. right. You're right. A They're year ago at this time, you could fly to Myrtle Beach for twenty five dollars. It'd be more to check a bag. Twenty five dollars. God, I haven't paid less than eight hundred dollars for a flight in as long as I can remember. So I don't even know where. It, that's unbelievable. That's so incredible. in January we we flew we took my in laws because I opened up their winter yeah, price right. down in Fort Myers in January for the four of us to fly down. Now my wife and I flew back like six days later. Um, total cost for four flights down and two flights back. My wife got it for two fifty total. God, I mean that's you know in February you can't even get mad if your flight's canceled at that rate. No, that's what that's why I was like eh whatever. 
even even in Easter weekend when we went down there, you know, as long as you book it far enough, booked it far enough in advance, I, I think it was I think it was a hundred bucks round trip for each of us. All right, but like I don't have to travel with a lot because we have a washer and dryer and. Like, it's 90 degrees every day. I'm in a bathing yeah. suit or I'm in a polo at night going to dinner. That's it. Yeah. It's a uniform. Yeah. yeah that's it's a it. uniform. Polo for golf in the morning, bathing suit in the afternoon, polo at night. All right. That's where we're at. You ever, right. I thought about even, like, tying into, like, the Hall – I mean, we obviously live – we're lucky to live near the Hall of Fame. I thought, well, maybe go to, like, Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket or something like that and go to Springfield to go to the Basketball Hall of Fame. But then I look at, like, how far that is. It's forever. Yeah. <sighs> It is, but it, it's it's worth it. Like in Springfield, Springfield's not awful to get to, and it's really pretty in that area. There, are some seedy areas once you get into Springfield <laughs> that that are a little uh, little different. But, um, you know, it, it that's a fun that 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 I recommend that. My it's family eight thirty eight hours thirty minutes. It's not awful. So you like, yeah, and you would go through like I am not driving through Pennsylvania, so I would go north. I'd, actually, you could do it in Niagara Falls. So you go there. Everybody's got passports. Stay on the Canadian side. Is that the deal? You have to stay on the Canadian. All right. Side. So you go to Niagara Falls. You do that. Then you continue on your path, and then you're in uh, you're in Springfield. And then if you're gonna go to like Martha, Martha's Vineyard, that area, Nantucket, then that's another. My family little. has a house up on the Cape. <laughs> How very Kennedy of you. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I've been there once. I was at. I had a uh, buddy of mine. His uh, his dad was. It, I want to say it was. He was Freddie and uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, whatever that. And um, he had a. They had a place in the Hamptons. And his bachelor party we went to a Yankees game, and then we took cars out to the Hamptons. Okay. Uh, for two days, ate at the Palm. All of this, uh, the quintessential Hamptons experience, and uh, the house was nice. And I, I remember, like, talking to my wife. She's like, oh, my God, the Hamptons was amazing. And I'm like, honestly, it was a lot like the east side of Cleveland. <laughs> like, it was just a lot of woods. It's a lot of woods. It was – it's really the proximity to Manhattan that makes it special. Like, the beaches aren't great. Um, you know, like, it's it's just the concentration of wealth. Like, in terms of, like, it's not like you're going – it's not like going to the beaches in Florida or something like that. It's the Atlantic Ocean. It's cold. You're you're that far yeah, north. You're it's that not, far north. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember when we were we, one year we we've been to Maine a few times, and I remember going up the first time, and it was like 85 degrees, and I'm like, man, I just want to jump in the ocean. Ran into the ocean, and I was like, hell no, and ran right back out. I went to the heated pool. I don't need any more of that. Ridiculously right. cold. Yeah, you you know you it's can't. Cold. It's cold, man. It's jaws. It's not. Not great. No, it's lobster time, man. You're not doing it. Indeed. All right. Higher Lower presented by the Ohio Lottery. Um, and more so just going through this. Uh, ESPN.com NFL roster rankings for all 32 teams for 2022. Strengths, weaknesses, X factors for every starting lineup. This is a pretty comprehensive deal. But. All right. Uh do you have the music going, Madison? She does. Play me a little bit. We're good. We're good. All right. Travel music is up. Beautiful. I can't hear it on my side. You're, it's, it's, it's the safe. wiring. Yeah. It's the board I wired. It's safe. Uh, number one, the Buffalo Bills. With the number one roster. 
I, I feel like you could be there based yeah, on all they've acquired. And I think we, you know, when we were, they got Vaughn this offseason. I think when we were, you know, doing our own power rankings of this, they were an appropriate one. I think if you wanted to keep it, if you wanted to go Chiefs, if you wanted to go Rams, if you, you know, there's a handful of teams, you know, Bengals, frankly, deserve everything. We had Jeff Hobson on yesterday and we were talking about everything that they did. They addressed everything. They, Secondary addressed, offensive line addressed, and they were in the Super Bowl last year. So, but I don't have a problem with Buffalo. I think that's it. Feels like they're the they're the pick. Yeah, Madison hit it. Higher or lower? Tampa Bay was number two. I I don't know about this. Yeah, I don't either. I I don't. I would not have them number two on this list. Um, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot to like. You know, you know, obviously Brady back. It's enormous. At some point, it has to stop for him. At some point, he's 45. Like, at some point, he can't be great still. Um, you know, I guess it'll happen whenever it happens. Maybe this is the year. Um, they have a really nice roster, but I would not have them number two on this list. Well, lower. And I guess part of my concern is they've got Godwin on here. Is Godwin going to be ready at the start of the year? Yeah, I was noticing. So what, and it's important to remember that the way that they do this is by their – ratings of players so it's this isn't subjective in that sense it's subjective in the sense is that they've set the parameters but it's not subjective in that they're just putting plugging in the numbers for the value of players and then that's it yeah uh, pro football focus grades of 90 plus categories is elite 80 89 are high good high quality 70 79 check in is average 69 or lower considered below average yeah you know, we look. At- I think that's high for the Bucks. I mean, yeah. The problem is, is like, so they have the Chargers third. This is the problem. Still with the- a lot of love for them. There is. Here's the deal with the Chargers. It doesn't take into effect. Here's the here's the only issue. Here's the issue with the PFF stuff. It doesn't take into effect intangibles. Coaching. Yeah. It doesn't. It the, all of that's thrown to the wayside. It is. It's a num- numerical look at what a player's value is, and by that. I can understand how the Chargers are third on a list. It makes sense. I mean, they are pretty damn loaded. I mean, they added Khalil Mack to Joey Bosa. That's formidable. Um, they're really good on the offensive side of the ball with with Herbert. They got two great receivers. They're pretty loaded up. It's interesting to me. The the other big splash they made at free agency was going to get J.C. Jackson. Remember the corner from yeah. New England? They were like, oh, my God, he's the best corner. Blah, blah. He grades out 78.9. According to this, he's average, which – Again, lends credibility toward average players get paid great in free agency. Below average players get paid average to above average. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Chargers, I put the Chargers ahead of Tampa Bay in terms of roster, a complete roster. But, again, there's a lot to unpack there. I would add both those teams lower. And, again, this is, their, this is a subjective it's it's their process that leads to this, uh, but it doesn't take in intangibles. It doesn't take in in coaching. It doesn't take in you know the incredible sway that a quarterback, a seasoned quarterback, can have. So I think the Chargers are just a little bit too high on this. Next, kind of got to see it. Higher or lower? All right, the Rams were four. The Packers were number five on this. And from right. a roster standpoint, with all the wide receivers you've lost, simply that alone. I mean, their starting receivers in terms of proven NFL are Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb. Now, they yeah. drafted Christian Watson, who we all loved at a North Dakota State, and he had a great rating at North Dakota State. But again, he's a rookie. So we, you, you just you have no idea. 
Um, they've got a decent offensive line. They've got a superior quarterback. They've got a really good ground game. But they have sunk a ton of resources into their defense. This is where you see their high numbers. You see Devontae Campbell at an 85, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary in the 80s, Devontae Wyatt, although he's a drafted guy, but in the middle of the defensive line. Jair Alexander is a 90-rated player at corner. Um, so the, in terms of their 90-rated players, they don't even have Rodgers as a 90. They have Bakhtiari and Jair Alexander as the two 90s. Rashawn Gary's 89.9 and Rodgers 89.4 on that list. Next. Higher or lower? Uh, the Browns come in at number six. Now they do have Deshaun Watson in a quarterback, and his rating is 92.5, and I'm sure that's helping the overall uh, roster. But um, How is Nick Chubb only an 81.7? Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Amari Cooper's only a 73. I think Amari Cooper's a little bit better than average. Well, I know that they don't, they're don't. they not crazy on Cooper. I remember that in years past. Um, Nick Chubb at an 81.7 is pretty strange for me. The idea that he would be rated below both. Isn't he rated below both of the Packers guys? Yeah, he's below both of them. So I don't buy that. Um, they love our offensive line, obviously. Batonio, 93.6. Teller, 84.9. Conklin, 78.8. Jed, 66. Jed needs a bounce back uh, in a big way. Um, on the defensive side, Miles is a 92. Yeah, just think about that. Batonio is 93.6 in their ratings. Miles is 92. And Deshaun is 92.5. Good grief. Um, JOK at a 76.9. Denzel there as well. Uh, yeah, we're. I mean, we're really good. If, if, if you have the roster that you are intended to have, you know, at, in full, healthy and in full, everybody eligible, you go win the Super Bowl. I, I don't the get – I don't get some of these low numbers, I guess. Newsom, 68. John Johnson, a 68. I don't know. Yeah, I, would, I don't understand the Nick Chubb one. That no. seems pretty pretty wild. Uh, next. Higher or lower? We may end up playing the Brissette interview tomorrow. That's fine. Just giving you heads up. I thought uh, that was the case as I was looking at the clock. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Eagles come in at number seven. Okay. Um well, here's so here's your biggest problem. This speaks exactly to what I'm talking about. You're not taking in intangibles. You're not taking into account the importance of the quarterback position. You're weighing the quarterback position just like you weigh everything else, and you can't do that here. There's no scenario where this is the seventh best team in football. None. None. There's just none. Um, now they got some really good players on this team. Lane Johnson, really good. AJ Brown, really really good. Dallas Goddard, really really good. Defensively. Nicobe Dean out of Georgia. He's going to be really good. He's very, very good. Jordan Davis out of Georgia. He's going to be very, very good. So they drafted two big guys. Darius Slay's back at corner. They've got a lot of talent, but you have to factor in the quarterback and the importance of the position. You have to. Yeah. They have the Bengals at number eight. Now, from a roster low. standpoint, I if you're looking just – if you want to compare rosters, I mean, the Bengals are better than the Packers. The only and, the only question that the Bengals have is at corner. That's really it. And Awuzie was good. Uh, Cam Taylor Britt is the draft pick. Mike Hilton was pretty good. That's it. Everything else, they're good. They're good in the middle of the interior. They're good at edge with Hendrickson and Hubbard. They're good at safety with Bates and Bell. They drafted Dax Hill. They got much better on the offensive line with Karras, Cap, and Collins all on the right side. That completely sorts out the right side of the offensive line. The left side are guys they drafted high. Jackson Carmen, who was a tackle, an Ohio kid who went to Clemson. Jonah Williams was a first-round pick out of Alabama. So 
that part they've all spent on, they are elite at quarterback, running back, and receiver. Elite. You can, I mean, you can put that up against anybody. Burrow, Mixon, Chase, Higgins, Boyd, put that up against anybody. They had Bates with a 67 rating. Yeah, where did we have – didn't they do that with our guys, though, too? Yeah. They had our guys a little I, low. I, I, yeah. Yeah, they had Johnny John, at yeah, 68.7. Yeah, it's a little low. You're loving the landscape, I can tell. I love it. Uh, so convenient. The Chiefs were number nine. They gave Mahomes an 80. Well, he, you know, by his standard, he didn't have a great year last year. You remember halfway through the year, he was really pressing. He would not take the easy stuff. He kept trying to throw everything 45 yards downfield. Um, I have a feeling he bounces back in a, in a big, big way. They have a brand-new receiving core. Valdez Scantling is there from Green Bay. Juju's there from Pittsburgh. They drafted Sky Moore, who's honestly probably as good a fit as there is. Uh, like they have Travis Kelsey in 85. He, he certainly plays better uh, than that. Um, they've got some real questions on the defensive side of the ball. Boy, though. do they. I mean, that's not – Chris Jones is elite, but other than that, it's – Draft picks, they've lost a lot of guys on that side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, just rounding out the AFC. Uh, they got Miami 10. Yeah. That's awful high. They had the Ravens number 12. So and we'll talk about the Ravens next. Back. Yeah, if they get them back, they're better than this. Yeah, I would agree with that. Where did they have the pukers? They got Denver 14. I don't know about that either. Indy 15. Those teams seem better than that to me. Cowboys, the commander is seventeen. Come on, yeah, I'm not buying that. I mean, they they were right on the, they were right on the bottom <laughs> stuff. Uh, Houston was the worst. Atlanta and Chicago rounding out the roster. Yeah, I think so. the biggest thing they do here is they don't factor in just like the importance of the quarterback position. Steelers are twenty two. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, doesn't that seem right? I would think so. Yeah, yeah, they got they got a lot of questions. They certainly have a lot of questions. I actually, I didn't think the bank. I don't think the Ravens have many. I mean, it's just you know, healthy Lamar. If if they're healthy and he's what he's been, I I think there's a pretty good chance that they're pretty special uh, going into it. Uh, Clifton Brown will join us coming up next. Speaking of the Ravens, recap their offseason, their mini camp. What did it all look like? That's coming up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. <laughs> Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Rumpke Waste Recycling, family owned and operated. Whether you join them as a customer or as an employee, you'll become part of the family. Visit Rumpke.com to learn more. We continue our tour around the AFC North at the conclusions of minicamp and heading into the true off-season before the start of camp in Baltimore. Clifton Brown joins us, staff writer at the Baltimore Ravens. Clifton, thank you so much for taking the time. I just wanted to start because, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's interesting with us here, we deal with this all the time in terms of what we see in the building and then the reality that we see throughout the media around the country and i'm sure you have similar things and i'm sure that you dealt with this with lamar jackson um what what is the your set what is in, in terms of the building in terms of lamar the way all of this offseason has played out it feels like constantly in the news but i don't know that it's justified where do where do you kind of sit on the way that this has been kind of portrayed over the course of this offseason well i mean the way it's been portrayed is that uh it's like a daily drama almost with uh, right. Lamar. And is he going to be back? Is he going to sign the contract? I think the reality is is that Lamar uh, 
wants to be with the Ravens the rest of his career. Uh, the Ravens want him as their franchise quarterback. And now it's just a question of signing a deal, how big it's going to be, and when is when's it going to get done. So, sure, until the, he signs a new deal, um, it's going to remain a topic in the news. But I don't think it's a distraction for him. I don't think there's a scenario where he's not the Ravens quarterback long term. So it's just a question of, to me, when he signs the contract, how much money it's for. Uh, and then once that happens, I think, you know, he'll move on as a franchise guy for years to come. Man, I'm I'm looking at this thing, and I we we were just looking at some of the PFF roster rankings, and I I actually think they have Baltimore a little too low. So much of what happened last year, I th- you know, so much of it's tied to injury, just decimated. We dealt with that here too, just decimated by injuries. Uh, you guys were as well over there. Um, in terms of the health of the roster at large, and then we'll get into some of the ind- individual guys who could burst this year. Um, where what does that look like? What did that look like in minicamp? Yeah, well, I mean, the Ravens had a ton of injuries, so. You know, for the positives, you know, Marlon Humphrey's already back. You know, he participated in everything this offseason. He's a guy who didn't finish the season, so he looks good to go now. Uh, they're encouraged by Ronnie Stanley's progress. Opera left tackle. They're hoping he'll be ready week one. Um, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, the top two running back, didn't participate in mandatory mini camps, but they're still hopeful they'll be ready week one, but we'll just have to wait and see along with their starting corner, pro bowler Marcus Peters, uh, Tyus Bowser, their leading sack, sacker from last year, towards Achilles. So I have to see if they'll be ready week one. Uh, David Ajabo, the second-round pick, he's probably not going to be ready week one, but they hope to get him back sometime this season. So the Ravens still have a lot of key guys who you know may or may not be ready for the start of camp, but who are making progress and who they hope will be ready week one. That's really what they're focusing on, trying to get as many of these guys back week one as possible. And optimistic that they will be in, in all of the cases that you mentioned? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, they're not guaranteeing anything. Um, you know, if, if guys aren't ready week one, then, you know, I don't think they're going to, you know, take a risk and force them you know, in, into action. And these are serious injuries. We're talking about season-ending yeah. injuries, knee injuries with Marcus Peters, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Tyus Bowser, uh, ruptured Achilles. You know, these are injuries that take a long time to come back from. So, you know, each case is different. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's been any setbacks for anybody. And I think all those guys you, that I just mentioned will be playing a majority of next season it's just a question of with each guy, will they be ready from opening bell or will they start the season maybe not playing and then work their way back in at some point? Clifton, i got to tell you, from, from our perspective as doing Cleveland Browns Daily in Berea, I hate the Ravens draft, but if I were a Ravens fan, I would love their draft, and that typically is the way that this thing goes. Uh, Linderbaum, I saw him a lot uh, at Iowa. He's sensational, and Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame is 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 that as well, and, and a really dynamic play mentor. You mentioned Ajabo, who's probably going to be a redshirt with the big injury, but he was really special at Michigan. You got to see, you've gotten to see a lot of Linderbaum and Hamilton. What, what impressions have they made early? Good ones. Uh, Linderbaum, you know, great technician, great movement. You know, the biggest knock, obviously, was his size, the smallest center of the draft, but really quick, really smart, really physical. He looks like he looked like a guy who had been the starting center for a couple of years to me, 
Now, you know, more be told when once the pads come on, but he's very decisive, doesn't look confused at all. Same with Hamilton. I mean, you know, a couple times he made some mistakes, but he, Hamilton is so athletic. You all you see the size that he has as far as his height. You know, six four safety that stands out, and he can move well. But he's really athletic, and you know the, the Ravens love the way he he hits. He's physical, so Hamilton's a safety. He can move all over the field, uh, move him around. He, I think the defense is going to be more multiple this year when you have a guy like him and then Marcus Williams. The other safety who they got in free agency, they can really um, show a, do- a lot of different looks. So, yeah, they think they feel like they got the best center in the draft in Linderbaum, and the best safety in the draft in Hamilton. And they definitely didn't think Hamilton was going to be there at number fourteen. When he was, they they grabbed him really quickly. Boy, let's stay on the defense for a second. Would that also because a guy I loved in the draft coming out of LSU is Patrick Queen, but it seems like a little bit of a slow start to his career. Although there has been some big time flashes for him in games. Um, will will what's his role and what are the expectations for him going into year three? Well, when he moved from the uh, strong side, the weak side linebacker midway through last year, and they made Josh Bonds the starting next to him, Queen's play really picked up. He's extremely fast. Uh, gets the ball really quickly, has his tackling hasn't been quite as sure as they want it to be, and he hasn't been as good in pass coverage as they want to be. A guy who sometimes you can fool him, you know, reacts too quickly, goes one way, and they get him out of position as far as in the passing game. But he's making strides in pass coverage. Uh, he's making strides as far as being more of a sure tackler. And they feel still feel like Queen, he's got the ability – to be a Pro Bowl-type yeah. linebacker. It's just a question of being more consistent. And this is a big year for him. Um, Queen's a good player. Uh, I think he has the tools, and he definitely has a desire to be a great player. I think this year will tell a lot about whether he's on the path to being you know, a great player. But certainly he has the talent to do that. And I think playing in this defense is going to help him where he's going to be more of a playmaker this year than he has been so far in the NFL. Talking to Clifton Brown, staff writer at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, let's go to the offensive side. The loss of Hollywood Brown, um, obviously a big one, but I, mean, I like what they got back for it. But I also like Rashad Bateman from his time at Minnesota. And I understand he's a very, very different player. Um, but is there a sense over there that he can really blossom now going into year two? Well, he was a first-round pick, and they did that because they feel he's a, he's a number-one receiver. Now, you know, this is a year they're going to need him to step up and play health, and be healthy. And I think they're also going to need the other receivers around him who are also young, whether it be Devin DuVernay, James Persay, uh, Talon Wallace. They need those guys to step up as well. So it is a question now that Marquise is gone, a thousand-yard guy who was their best deep receiver, how they're going to pick up the slack. Uh, I think those young guys, you know, they definitely feel like they're ready. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond now that Marquise is gone. And I also think that, you know, the Ravens, they drafted two tight ends and already have all pro tight end and Mark Andrews. You know, I think the tight end position is going to be a big part of their offense. So, you know, even it doesn't really matter who catches the football as long as the Ravens passing offense is productive. And I think that some of those balls that Marquise used to be targeted for are going to go to the other wide receivers. But I think some of those balls are also going to go to tight ends, I think you're going to see a lot of multiple tight end sets 
with from the Ravens, and that's a, actually an easier throw for Lamar. He, he's got great chemistry with Andrews. If he can develop that type of chemistry with the two young tight ends that they drafted, then to me that's going to make their offense you know, more consistent. Clifton, if everything, if everybody's healthy and they get to where they need to be and the running backs get around healthy, um, what what evolution do you anticipate seeing from from the Ravens offensively? And it's something you know we're de- we're dealing with Hill with, here with the acquisition of, Lamar, of of Deshaun Watson, and that is you've got to keep pace. You've got to be able to score when everybody knows that you're trying to throw. You've got to be able to throw. You've got to be able to move the ball. Um, what what are the Ravens going to do to make sure that they can answer that bell with Kansas City and Buffalo and the Chargers and those type of teams that score the way that those teams score? Well, you've definitely got to be able to score. I agree with that. But I think you can also help yourself by keeping those offenses off the field. And, you know, the yeah. Ravens went 14-2 and two in 2019 and then made the playoffs again in 2020. They were the best running team in the NFL. And I think last year they had so many – struggles on their offensive line with Stanley only playing one game that they couldn't get back to that. But I think with, by drafting Linderbaum, Stanley coming back, signing Morgan Moses, who's probably going to be the starting right tackle for agency, the Ravens, I think, are going to get back to what they were in 19 and 20, where they ran the football really well. You've got Lamar, who's the dual threat. And then when you start trying to cheat too much towards the line of scrimmage and pay too much attention to their running game, they can hurt you with the passing game as well and also can control the football and keep some of those high-powered offenses off the field. So they're going to play a different style than the Chiefs, than the Bills. Uh, I think as long as Greg Rome is offensive coordinator and as long as Lamar's a quarterback, the Ravens are going to kind of do their own thing, uh, maybe going against the grain a little bit about what you see around most of the NFL, but – you know, they were a high-scoring team in 2019 and 20, yeah. and they were a team that could control the football. I think that's what they're going to try and, try and get back to. Clifton, how would you um, – you, you think about the AFC North and, and the Ravens sp- spot in it, just looking at the roster. And obviously the, the Deshaun thing's got to get sorted out here. And But let, let's say, for example, that, that when he's there and part of the mix. Where, where do you kind of slot these four teams in the AFC North heading into the season? Well, I think it's going to be a really tough division again. I mean – I don't see how you can't say the Bengals aren't the team to beat. They're defending AFC champs. They've got a young, explosive roster. So they're obviously in the mix. I think the Ravens you know, definitely in the mix. They were 8-3 and three last year before Lamar, you know, got hurt, missed the last four or five games and lost their last six games in a row. So I think the Ravens in the mix. You mentioned Deshaun and Cleveland. We know how talented their roster is. We don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun yet. You know, if he's not there, it definitely hurts them to me. But to me, you can't write them off. And then, you know, it seems like people always want to write off the Steelers. You know, Tom has never had a losing season in 15 years. This is a different era with Ben Roethlisberger, but I can't see the Steelers just going away. Uh, Not as long as Mike Tom is there. So, yeah, I mean, you could make a case for all four of those teams, but if you're asking me where I'd slot them now, yeah, I think the Bengals are the team to beat. But the Ravens are certainly capable of winning the division. Then I'd go with Cleveland and Pittsburgh in that order. But I think those teams are going to beat the heck out of each other when they play each other <laughs> like they usually do. It certainly does feel like that, doesn't it? Thanks for your perspective today, Clifton. We appreciate it a lot. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, that's Clifton Brown, staff writer at the Baltimore Ravens, joining us on the hotline there. Yeah, you look at 
Uh, there's a lot of ifs with them because there's a lot of injury stuff that they got to get sorted out. But if it's sorted out, it's a full 19 day. 19 guys on their IR yeah. at one point. You know, we talk a lot about the injury bug biting us last year. It didn't bite anybody worse no. than the Baltimore Ravens. No, they were number one. They were they were number one on the injury bug uh, yes. from the injury bug situation. And not only was it injury bug, it was serious. It was season ending. I mean, they had Achilles and knees. I mean, they had all sorts of things happen to them. Look, this for them, it's just going to come down to to Lamar. That's it. There's nothing else to it. Can they be explosive offensively the way they were in 19 when he was sensational? Can they move the ball consistently, especially when they're behind? Can they do that? They weren't behind much in 19. No. You know? No. And, and from a defensive standpoint, where are they at? They should some be of these guys. If they're healthy, they're frightening. I, I, I mean, agree. Calais Campbell, Adefe, o, uh, Adefe Owe, used to be Jason Owe out of Penn State. Uh, Patrick Queen can flat out fly. Humphrey Peters at corner. Hamilton out of Notre Dame at safety. If they're, if Whew. I mean, if they're healthy, they're a top five defense probably. Yeah, I think so. And, and, I, and then you just need Lamar to. You need the offense to be top fifteen, and they're going to be right back to where they have been. All right, Lamar Jackson is in his um, – he has started uh, 58 game. He's played in 58 games in the NFL, so he's going into his fifth season in the NFL. Guess the stats, Gibby. How old do you think he is? Lamar? Yeah, going into his fifth season. 25. Nailed it. Good job out of you. You remember All that he, right. You remember Good night, that everybody. He, you remember <laughs> – next level is next. You, you remember that he came in at 21. God. So he is younger, despite going into his fifth season. Baker was, is going into his fifth. They came in the same draft, but he's almost two years younger uh, than Baker, and he's younger than Deshaun. I'm pretty sure too. Yeah, well, for sure. He came in in a in a draft after uh, a couple drafts after. So I mean, he's he might be younger than Burrow at 25 or close. They got to be similarly aged because Burrow was a five year guy at you know between Ohio State and LSU. Checking. Lamar uh, Jackson's 25. Same age then, okay. In 2019, when he won the MVP, he threw for 3,100 yards, 36 touchdowns, nine interceptions. No, I'm sorry, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions. 36 to six, six to one touchdown to interception. And then didn't they lose in the first round of the playoffs to the Titans? I think they did. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah. That's the way that I, I remember it. That same year he ran for 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns. So, I mean, he was he averaged 80 yards a game on the ground in 2019. It's no wonder he was the unanimous MVP of the league. It's stunning stuff. Uh, so much more to come. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. If a car, truck, or motorcycle accident caused your injury, call the injury lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO for a free case review. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Uh, So we'll check in with the Steelers tomorrow, see how the quarterbacks looked. Yeah, uh, we'll hear from the Steelers tomorrow. John Greco will join Anthony Poizel. You'll get. We'll get to that Jacoby Brissett interview. Probably an Ask CBD. A little mailbag. A little mailbag for the kids. Off. Off for. And away we go. Vacation. Well, much deserved. Much deserved. Um, I do recommend if you're if you're just joining, 
the Charles Robinson interview that we did in the first hour. Well done by you. Just, Heavy lift. Well, thanks. But if you wanted, if you want to kind of know like the facts of where all of this sits, the process of all of this, it'll answer a lot of the questions. And again, like I said, anybody acting like they know what's going on in that thing is lying. Nobody knows anything. Nothing. There's nothing that that is coming out of it. It is airtight. If Robinson says it's airtight, it's airtight. We've been saying it. Him saying it. That's enough corroboration in terms of how this thing could go. It's anyone's guess. New precedent across the board on all of that stuff. So uh, that that was very good and uh, and a good job of you, Gibby, getting him on. That was uh, informative to say the least. Uh, we can tell you also tomorrow, poor Sal, and then John Greco will join us. So you have that to look forward to, which is nice, on a Thursday edition. Enjoy your first Friday, kids. Act accordingly if you can. The next level is coming up next. Thanks for listening. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.